Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with recording artist and radio businessman James D. Conqueror. He grew up in the Bay Area and now is in Kansas City, a home for him for quite some time. These days, he is a busy man being credited with the execution and launch of Kansas City's newest jazz radio station, KOJHFM. Org or 104.7, right out of the Mutual Musicians Foundation building off the historic 18 and Vine, and he is promoting his newest album, Nové Noir Opus 1. The genre is blaze hop. That's a combination of blues, jazz, and hip-hop, and its aim is to redefine the sound of Kansas City hip-hop. Whether getting the world ready for the new radio revolution hitting Kansas City airwaves or being a curator of the black American music, James is ready and has stories. So dig this interview, my friends. Just before we get started here, it's, it's funny how things happen, but I was listening to, and it was just random on my phone, on my playlist, I was listening to Miles at the Fillmore in 1970, and I was just really probing into what Miles would have done if he would have tacked on about 25, 30 years to his life. And the cool thing about what you're doing is what I think Miles would have been doing, is I think he was always wanting to push that proverbial envelope into other genres and expand the arts of jazz into further wider ranges of, of, of our music experience that we've gotten to at this point. Kind of that Quincy Jones notion, you know? Right, 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 exactly. Yeah, I definitely did what you're saying. So let me, let me go ahead and dive in here. First of all, thank you for taking some time. Thanks for sending over the music and reaching out. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Let's go ahead and dive in here. I know we're going we're gonna to get to Opus One, but before we do that, you're busy with the radio station, Kansas City's oldest jazz house, 104.7, that launch and everything that goes into it. Give me an idea of what is going on in your world lately. Yeah, you know, Joe, it's, it's a really exciting time right now. I've got to say that I, I never thought, you know, in, in a thousand years that I would be in this particular situation, especially with uh, the radio station, uh, at the Mutual Musicians Foundation. Right now, that the main thing as far as my end business-wise, what I do as far as multimedia is the radio station. Um, we, we did start streaming over the Internet. It's not live right now. It's just pre-programmed music. Um, yeah. and right now, we're in, we're in the process of working out kinks of the actual administrative part of radio, who's going to handle what. You know, we've even talked about uh, doing some stuff together, so we want to make sure everything is set up for the on-air personalities, the jocks, and everybody to be able to just kind of come in and plug into what we got going on. So we're really looking at getting that launch as far as terrestrial FM around the centennial, which would be March of 2017 or March, April, somewhere in there we're going to get that going. Right on. Well, and then, you know, when I didn't realize this exclusively, but you're, uh, you're a musician as well, and you're releasing yeah. and you're releasing a new album, and... From what I heard, it's a great amalgamation of you got jazz, you got hip hop, R and B. I mean, you got a lot of things going on. Talk to me about the new album. Talk to me about how you came to this point in your life. Yeah, for sure. And first, I just want to thank you for even uh, reaching back out to me on that because you know, as well as I do, with jazz, it can be a very temperamental subject when it when it's when, when you're asking who defines what as jazz or an influence of jazz. 
you know, we can be very picky about that, almost elitist sometimes, you know what I mean? So yeah, totally. um, just, to, just for you to reach out to me with, with the credentials you have means a lot to me because it kind of helps me to keep pushing and, and validate that. But really, I've been doing music since I was seven. I come from a musical family. I, um, uh, my, my grandfather, uh, Cudi Gatson, was a, a guitar player based here in Kansas City. Him and his brother moved out to Los Angeles. Uh, some time ago, uh, James Gatson, he's a drummer. And, you know, so they've always had an influence on me, whether it was watching them produce music or create music or hearing their songs uh, that they played with other artists, um, stuff like that. And then we just have a musical family in general. So I've been writing song lyrics since I was about seven years old. And I've been trained in uh, piano since I was about five. Now, when I say that, I'm not going to get up there play any Chopin or anything like that, but just right. understanding the theory of piano and learning how to create melody and stuff like that. I've been doing that since a, a very young age. And um, just along the way, I just, you know, got involved in what was my generation's new wave of music, which I just happened to be born during a time where hip-hop and rap was coming to prominence. And uh, so that was just like the next logical cycle. Had I been born 20 years before that, it might have been rock and roll or something. I don't know, you know. So it's just kind of about the time I was born in and being from the family I'm from and being based here in Kansas City, I'm originally from the Bay Area, but moving here and being here since a teenager, I just really embraced what made Kansas City so significant musically. And that's why I've started to kind of take the turn now with my music to kind of embrace what made Kansas City so great, jazz, swing, origins of bebop and stuff like that, and just kind of seeing how those things match up with what I'm doing, and like you mentioned earlier, um, stuff that Miles was doing before he even passed, you know, with Quincy Jones, just doing that doo-wop sound, they were already on that. You know, they were they were going there with it, but I don't think that hip-hop or rap had enough of a presence to kind of really make that connection. So I'm just, I'm just continuing on with that. That's all, you know. Well, before we get to Black Vine Records and kind of the inner workings of what you're doing with, with your new album, Talk to me about growing up in the Bay Area and how those cultural differences between being on the West Coast where obviously a hotbed of hip-hop is always flourishing and coming to a place like Kansas City that's not as mature as that market. Well, you know, I I was just talking to uh, a friend of mine about that, and I think the thing about being in the Bay Area, first of all, it's just a very culturally diverse area. I'm... You know, Northern California is very culturally diverse area. I'm actually from, uh, I was born in a, in a little town called East Palo Alto, which is right next to Palo Alto where Stanford is. So it's, it's like, you know, you, you got to imagine that kind of community what would be created there. And I just grew up all around the Bay Area, South San Francisco. So I was always exposed to uh, Asian culture. Um, and when I say Asian culture, I mean just, you know, all all races and makeups, Filipino, uh, Chinese, Japanese and all over into Indian culture and, and uh, people from the Middle East, just everything. And that kind of gave me a broad view of the world without having to have traveled around. You know what I mean? It's like it was right there. So uh, I was able to see the significance of the impact of music. So when hip-hop came around, it was like something that everybody gravitated to. All the kids of my age, whether you were from Russia or whether you were from Germany, you know, we all gravitated towards that. So it made me have a sense of community within art and music very early. Uh, so when I came to Kansas City, it was almost like a, a culture shock because 
as you know, here in Kansas City, it's a very, um, it can be very homogenous. You know, it's got black and white. And around the time I moved here, there were more Latinos and stuff coming. But it was kind of a culture shock. I was like, hey, well, we're all the people. How do we, aren't we supposed to get together? And music brings us together in culture. And I had to kind of adjust to understanding that there was a different mentality. So that that kind of did affect the music because as opposed to being in a place where almost everything was accepted musically, it was like, okay, now you got to be in a box. Either you do this or you do that, you know, or we don't go over there with those guys. They don't come over here with us. And so it was, it was really a culture shock, but it kind of made me infuse myself with who I was already into the Kansas City Food. So it actually helped because it made me look different, basically, you know. So that's kind of the effect it had on You know, talking about coming from one culture to another culture, you know, you got two very distinctive things going on. You're a musician and you're launching a radio station. How do both of those components of your psyche work to make this, both of them, successful ventures for you? Clearly, as a businessman, I, I definitely am in a position that I can fix the fight for what you know what I mean, as far yeah. as, like, just being exposed to what, is the makeup of radio and how how can affect a record company or an artist or the different contacts and networking that are available from being involved with the radio station, especially a radio station like KOJH that has this historical significance because of where it's at, you know. It's definitely been a challenge because I've tried to understand how to maintain myself as an artist, but at the same time still be able to handle the business of a corporate structure that almost, in, in modern times, radio and artists is like a collision course a lot of times. You know, it's like yeah. either they hate each other or they love each other. You know, it's just, yeah. so it's like kind of having to have that balance in being an artist, dealing with other artists and personalities, like how do I make that uh, distinction between, okay, now I'm the general manager and I have to make decisions based on that. But this is how I feel as artist. As artist, oh, I would, I would definitely put that on. So it's kind of just finding a balance, um, and I think the main priority right now is, besides just being an artist, is that actually making sure that the business of the radio station is solid because that is the platform. Uh, aside from me being an artist, just for every artist around us, you know, uh, even you as a jockey, in a, as an interviewer, you're an artist, so that's the platform. And if the platform is not there, then the music kind of dies off. You know what I mean? You have to yeah. have the platform. So that's that's why there's such an intense uh, concentration on the radio station right now. Well, you know, the one thing I like in your bio, which is it, it's a great tag for you, is you're a curator of the black American music experience. I can imagine right. what that means, but tell me in your words, what does that mean for you? Well, you know, uh, I definitely have to give credit to that ideal in my mind to Miss Dixon, Anita Dixon, who actually brought me on to work for the radio station. When she brought me on, she was like, you know, we have a jazz base. We're at the Mutual Musicians Foundation, the oldest jazz house. Uh, however, there are different genres that have spawned off of gospel, blues, jazz. Uh, one could even say, you know, you and I both know that a lot of jazz is based off of blues, 12-bar blues, you know, certain things. So there's, there's always a connection. So to stop at jazz to say, hey, this is just, a jazz radio station would almost be a disservice to the culture as a whole because of the things that have been uh, produced off it. So when we say black American music experience, what we mean is the derivatives of those earlier pop the musics that we made, whether whether it be ragtime, uh, blues, spiritual. You know, we've even talked about and delved into folk music, all that stuff that, that 
uses lyrics and uses melody. Um, that's all part of the black American music experience. And the reason why we point at that is because jazz in particular is uh, something that's unique to America, you know, as, as a creation. All around the world, people can easily go back to where this was started. You know, you go from New Orleans, Kansas City, Chicago, New York. It's very distinct. And America being such a melting pot, uh, sometimes we kind of blend everything together and we don't kind of recognize the proper place or origin of things. So when we say the black American music experience, we mean everything that descendants of Africans uh, that were brought over here have created and contributed to culture. So that would be the black American music experience. So like, there's got to be a distinction. Like there, we are descendants of Africans, but we are, we're black Americans. We're, we're a different community and culture of people that have created other things. So that's, that's kind of where the specific definition is. So let's kind of broaden that a little bit, the more subjective notion with you. What albums were really influential? I mean, we're talking about blues, jazz, hip-hop. There's been a lot of things, folk, a lot of things have been thrown around. But what were seminal albums in your upbringing and your life that made you want to be a musician and reach for where you're going? Again, I have to go back to my family. They they were the initial inspirations as far as just having something right in front of me that I could actually associate with. And then it would go into things like uh, I've always been a fan of, of a diverse range of music. Again, coming from the Bay Area, I was into Aerosmith as a, as a young kid. I used to listen to the lyrics and how they put the melodies together, how they play the guitar like that, you know. So Aerosmith, different things like that. Uh, when it comes to R&B and soul, so I can go through a long list of that, but I was a huge fan and still am of, of Barry White, the maestro. You know, just the the lyrics, how he would use orchestra and symphony in his music and how some of his stuff was simple but complex at the same time. Stevie Wonder. As far as jazz goes, I'm, I'm just, I love Thelonious Monk. I love the percussive style of his piano playing. You know, it's, it's almost like he's playing drums almost, you know, and he's just kind of so unorthodox. So those are some of my influences uh, as far as, like, the actual stuff I listen to to say, what would this person do or how did they do that? How can I emulate that or, or kind of expand on that? Of course, with rap and hip-hop, it would be like Rock Him, the real lyricist. That's what attracted me to hip-hop was more so the beat was important, but it was the lyricism and the fact that they were able to communicate a message, not really with singing, but almost just like talking in a rhythmic pattern, you know what I mean? Those are some of my influences, you know. I just, it's like everything, and that's, that's kind of been one of my struggles as an artist. It's like, when you're influenced by so many things, how do you narrow it down to something that the, the masses can kind of grasp onto and understand, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So when you look back on your life and right now where you're at, what you're doing as, as a musician, as a businessman, are you happy? Is this what you would have seen your life, hoped your life would become? I have to say, in in the most humble way I can, yeah. You know, I, I mean, ever since I was a, a child, I understood that I was going to be involved with uh, the arts and music and that I was also going to have some kind of uh, influence culturally or socially, which I always knew even at a young age went a little bit beyond just being a musician. Not to belittle that, but it's just there's other aspects of it. So this particular place, at the foundation, at KOJ, doing a jazz fusion hip-hop. No, I, I, I wouldn't have known that. I couldn't have known that. But the general circumstance, I always had a little bit of a drive for that since I was 
you know. So I'm I'm definitely happy. There's there's a struggle with it, of course, uh, especially with what I'm dealing with uh, as far as genres and how to get in and how to get certain recognition and how to uh, navigate those waters. But uh, it's a beautiful struggle. I'll just say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, obviously these days you're in one of probably the most density-rich jazz houses in the world um, mm-hmm. on 18 and Vine and the Mutual Musicians Foundation, and you're in Kansas City. Talk to me a little bit about why you like Kansas City so much. What What's charming? What's alluring? What do you love about Kansas City? Well, to, to tell you what I love about Kansas City, I, I definitely have to tell you what I thought at first when I was moving here from the Bay Area, uh, as a teenager, I was excited to move here because I thought I was going to be living on a farm. I thought I was going to be living with cows, and I was going to have a totally different lifestyle than <laughs> the Bay Area. And I got here, and all I saw was brick and mortar. And, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow, this is the same thing that kind of threw me off about Kansas City is what created my love for Kansas City, and that's that density of culture and that intensity of people's views and beliefs and how people are very – distinct about what they believe and how they function. So I started to eventually see that as a a benefit uh, of being here in Kansas City because people are very clear-cut, you know, they're, they're, they're very not simple in the sense that they can't be complex, but there's not a lot that goes into trying to be a, a I don't know how the world would look at it. You know, when you're, when you're a bigger, faster-paced city, there's just like a confusion and manipulation of culture that just constantly has evolved, you know. Yeah. And in yeah. Kansas City, there's just kind of like this standard. You go down to 18th and Vine, you go to 1823 Highlands. That building has been there actually since 1904. So 112 years ago, these things are there. They're established, and that kind of gives me a sense of ownership and, and security and pride in knowing that, hey, there are some things that – came from here that are great and now we're experiencing this renaissance and now I'm falling back in love with Kansas because like whatever happened in 1917, 1920 is it's almost like it's, it's uh, experiencing a resurgence of that and just to be able to be a, in a place where it happened 100 years ago and it's happening now. That's just a special thing, you know, and it's just something you can't deny. You know, one time I remember when I interviewed Anita, she had said that there was a paranormal film crew that came through and the feeling, the spirits that they felt there was so thick. And I always have been just bespeckled by 18 and Vine to think if I could get plopped down there 70 years ago and just be a part of that when it was crazy swing and how cool it would be. So let me ask you this. (laughs) Who would you want to see in Kansas City? Is there any particular band or, or venue you would have wanted to see a show in? I would have had to see Bird, Charlie Parker, at two times. When he's when he was young, young Bird, teenager, getting kicked off the stages of places, <laughs> and then right before he left. That's who I'd want to see because a person that has such a large impact and was so young and whose proverbial flame, I guess you say, was is expired at a young age, I would want to see what made him up. You know, how did you know that that kind of thing is just a very interesting story. And and on the on a side note, talking about the paranormal stuff that Anita calls through there as far as the crew and stuff, we were sitting there one night and she couldn't be down there and she was gonna actually have that one of those crews come down. So my partner and I went and sat there for her because they were supposed to show up at like ten o'clock or midnight. So we just said, okay, we'll stay here for you. So we went and sat in the foundation, and, you know, we're almost in there expecting something. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, nighttime is 2 o'clock now on the foundation. It's a weekday. There's nothing here. It's absolute stillness and dark. And uh, I go upstairs, and I'm sitting upstairs at the drum set, 
I, something just told me to get up from the drum set and just move to the stool. So I was sitting on the stool in the middle of the stage. I'm just sitting there, and I'm just sitting there, and, you know, almost trying to anticipate something to happen. Nothing happened. So I get ready to get up from the stool, and I just hear a bird start chirping. Hmm. This is like at 2 o'clock in the morning. Bird just wow. starts chirping. At, I mean, in the middle of the night. So I'm like, what is this? So I was like, you know what? I'm an artist. I'm going to make a story out of this. I think that was Bird talking to me. Tell him, go ahead and do what you're saying. <laughs> That's beautiful. You know, it, I was down during the Charlie Parker week, the celebration, and uh, George Johnson was in town doing a song, and it happened yeah. to be a really, really heavy thunderstorm outside. And at one point mm-hmm. during the middle of their set, boom, there was a lightning strike, and the electricity went out, and the band didn't stop. And no one was, I know no one was capturing it at the time because no one could have known. So the lights go down. Most of it's acoustic other than the mic. George is still singing, right. and the band's still going, and it's still booming out. And then, like, ten seconds later, everything comes back up, and the crowd was just totally into it. And I remember interviewing him afterwards, and I was like, you realize there was a massive peal of thunder when Bird died. You know, there was a really yeah. fine, massive thunderbolt, and a lot of right. people – Attested to that in New York, so I thought it was. It's weird, man. That spirit that still kind of exists and comes back in its reincarnate version is is wild, man. You know. Right. Oh, hey, you know that energy does not dissipate; it moves around, man. It's like a carousel, man. One way or another, it's going to come back around. It's going to come back. <laughs> right. <you>. Right. <laughs> you know, you're a practitioner as a musician and as a as a uh, running a radio station at this point of a lot of different genres of music, but since we're more specifically talking about jazz, I want to ask you generically, why do you love jazz? Well, I would have to say, one, the uh, the improvisation of, of, of jazz, how it can be a, a very unrestrictive form of music. Uh, it, it has a bass, but you can kind of get in there and create melodies and structures and arrangements that as long as you're in pocket with the other musicians, it's all good, you know? And that's very unique. There's a lot of other music that if you come off a note or you move to the left or right too much, it'll mess everything up. That's one thing I love about jazz. I've always loved uh, improvisation. I've always loved the uh, the bass line of a, of a stand-up bass and uh, how it complements the drum section. It's just the, especially when you deal with uh, swing or the dance types or if you, even if you're dealing with uh, bebop, just how that's the, the syncopation of it, you know. That, that's why I love it. It's just, it's just a free form of music in certain areas of it, you know. It's just a free form of music, and I think that is music. I think, you know, when you restrict music and you try to make it one certain thing, it kind of loses some of its ability, but when you let it be free, it, it can kind of just touch everybody. and It touches the spirit, the mind, the heart, everything. So that, that's what I love about it. Right on. Let's say we talk in five years, even maybe push it up a little bit to ten years, and we talk about your career in music and where we are with the radio station, Kansas City's oldest jazz house. What what are you gonna what do you what's your hopes for the radio station and for your music career? I would really like to be a part of uh ushering in a a foundation and building a new platform uh for musicians out of Kansas City and for musicians to be attracted to come work and play in Kansas City. Uh, so to me, that looks like uh, multimedia. That looks like having a radio station that has a lot of influence and inspiration uh, within the industry. That looks like having a uh, digital 
side and aspect of things, uh, Internet presence that is a go-to place for what is Kansas City, not only just jazz, but music, art, culture, and uh, just providing a platform for artists to be able to uh, build themselves and develop and leave out of Kansas City but not have the uh, that mindset that they can't come back or they can't live here and be successful and there's not enough going on here. really just want to contribute to uh, inter- entertainment and mass media as a whole, and I'm really just using jazz and music as foundation because you can create so many different media off that. You can go into video. You can go into film documentation. You can go into pictures, live music. Uh, radio. So really I'm looking at just creating a multimedia platform based in Kansas City that influences and inspires for beautiful. Let me let me get to the essence of who you are. This is my final question for you. And everyone has a version of who you are. Your family, your friends, uh, you know, everybody that's going to listen to your music, everybody that's going to get to know you as the uh, purveyor of this new 104.7. But tell me who you think you are. When you wake up and face the world and you go do your thing and you have multiple roles in your life, who are you? You know, <laughs> man, that's too good. <laughs> I'm going to have to steal a line from uh, my friend Ava Bella, and I would just say I'm a vessel, and I've learned that about myself. I am a vessel. I am a conduit for uh, hopefully good things, um, whether that be art, whether that be business. I've always been a conduit, even with my family and friends. I've been the person that was sought out to help um, maybe settle uh, disagreements, someone who is looked at as a problem solver, someone who is looked at as an innovator, uh, someone who is looked at as, as security, uh, you know, somebody who is looked at as a passionate person that can lead. So I, I look at myself as a conduit, and that's what I understand, understand myself to be. When I'm dealing with radio, I'm a conduit for creating a platform for Kansas City artists and jazz to have a, a platform that continues on with the heritage. When I'm doing music, I'm going to kind of do it for the message and feeling that I feel like, you know, the most high is putting to me to give to people. When I'm working at the foundation late night, I'm going to kind of do it for making sure that everything's running smooth. So I'm, I'm really just a conduit, you know. Or maybe a hammer. You want to pull a hammer out and get something done, that's you know, okay. And, and you could probably add to that you're taking care of the birds late at night, too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a vessel for that because I'm telling you the story. So now that's just another story about birds. In the vault of bird stories, that's right. Hey, right. James, <laughs> James, hey, thanks for reaching out with your music. I'm looking forward to spinning it. And, and most assuredly, thank you for what you're doing for Kansas City Radio, for art and keeping everything fluid and moving in that, that direction it needs to go, which is forward. Hey, I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, we all have, you and I, we have, we have things to do. Do, man, so I appreciate you and just uh, sharing your knowledge and your time with me. Uh, it's, it's just very valuable to me, and I appreciate it. I really do. My pleasure, man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to James for his leadership in KC Radio, the music, and all of those great stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com or the home of Neon Jazz is the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends.
Leon Jez.